I think connection is more important than nutrition because you can just eat the most healthy way and you know loneliness is connected to early you know death disease things like that not to to get dark um but but it I I honestly think that eating healthy is important but having those connections are even more important so if you have to have you know if you go out and you're your family's having ice cream or pizza or whatever have that ice cream have that pizza have that birthday cake because that have that wine if it's there like that's the most important part of life is connecting with other people and then you know get back on the on the healthy train when you get home how does gut health affect hormone health and how do foods affect both fertility as well as hormone balance these are questions that we talked about today with our integrative and functional nutritionist, Ayla Neal. I am Dr. Andrew Wong, co-founder of Capital Integrative Health. This is a podcast that is dedicated to transforming the consciousness around what it means to be healthy and understanding the root causes of disease and wellness. Ayla is a certified nutrition specialist who focuses on female and male fertility, as well as prenatal and postnatal lactation and nutrition. Please join us for this conversation about how nutrition impacts estrogen, progesterone, and much more, how the gut microbiome is involved with estrogen balance, and what you can do to balance your hormones using the power of food. All right, Ayla, welcome to the podcast. and great for you to be here today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. And Ayla, you grew up here at CIH is what we were just talking about. You yeah. started as an intern, mm-hmm. then a nutrition assistant, now full-time nutritionist here. So it's yeah. been so, such an awesome journey. Yeah, I'm super grateful to have that opportunity. And this is a great place to learn and to grow and to really cultivate a good practice. And we have um, a lot of exciting news, such as you recently got married and then now have a baby. Mm-hmm. Is that... Yeah, so I got actually my one year anniversary is on Thursday. Congrats. Um That's on so the exciting. third. So yeah. I'm excited about that. And yeah, then my daughter will be one <laughs> um a month after that. So we got married while I was pregnant. But yeah. Time flies. <laughs> yeah. 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 So we're excited. Lots of good things happening. And then we should talk about your name change just for all the listeners who may be your patients or future patients. Mm-hmm. So you, you changed your name recently, which I was just yeah. learning about. Yeah, so it went from Neil, which is my maiden name, what I grew up with, and now I will be Ayla Hepding. So if anybody sees a change on the portal, like with their appointments, things like that, don't be alarmed. There's not another Ayla here. <laughs> yes. So Ayla Hefting, a very unique name. I wonder if there's any other Ayla Heftings in the world, but... Probably not, uh, but unique. it could be, yeah. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. Well, let's talk about what motivated you to become a nutritionist. Uh-huh. Um, what kind of got you started? Yeah. So um, I have an older daughter. She's seven now. Um, when she was around two or three, I was like really interested in learning how to feed her. Right. Um, and I just kept like researching all of these things. And even before that, I was super interested in nutrition. I was a vegetarian for a long time, tried to find the right path for myself with my nutrition. Um, but then I just kept coming at stalemates and I was like researching on the internet and things like that, seeing all these fad diets, um, really like extreme stuff. So I was like, I had my bachelor's degree and I was nannying at the time. I didn't have really a good like 
set career. I didn't want to be a nanny for the rest of my life. I mean, I loved the job, but I didn't want to do that my whole life. And I knew I always wanted to help people in some capacity. So I was researching grad schools. I was looking for different nutrition programs or psychology programs. And I fell upon um, Maryland University of Integrative Health. And it just like called to me. It was everything I wanted in a program. I definitely knew I didn't want to do the food pyramid um, or, you know, I was I was looking at nutrition professional as like macronutrient counting only or like, you know, weight loss only, things like that. I knew I wanted to use my degree for more than that. Um, so then I found the integrative stuff and I fell in love with it. And then I was introduced to functional stuff during school. And I just, you know, I knew that's where I wanted and I needed to be. And so long story short, selfishly, I went to school for nutrition to make sure that I could take care of my family the best way I could. Well, as Mark Hyman says, it starts with food. I feel like everyone here at Kaplan Integrated Health is a foodie. Yeah, And one sure. way or another. And, and like you said, taking care of yourself and your family and your kids. Mm -hmm. It really does start with food. And um, I love how you mentioned how you thought about going to school in nutrition, but chose integrative nutrition because and functional nutrition because it is so much more mm -hmm. than, than just like calorie counting and fad diets and weight loss and things like that. Right, definitely, yes. Um, we wanted to kind of focus today a bit on general female hormone health. I know you're very into women's health and yes. female hormones and how nutrition relates to female hormones. So what are some possible nutrition-related root causes for female hormone imbalances? Maybe if you could just kind of take the listeners through some of the imbalances that you see in your practice in terms of female hormones. Right. So some imbalances that we see often are estrogen dominance or maybe androgen dominance, like high testosterone or high DHEA, something like that. Um, sometimes it's just low progesterone itself or a combination of all of these things. Um, and where we would start typically, you know, we all work together in this practice with medical and everything. Um, but Nutritionally, where we would start is any like low-hanging fruit that might be there. So what does their regular macronutrient balance look like? What do their calories look like? Um, and calories meaning, you know, whether they're vastly overeating or vastly undereating, like, it's very important to eat enough when it comes to balancing hormones. Um, and then are they getting enough protein at each meal? Are they getting enough healthy fats? Um, and then we really start there with balancing the plate. And then we'll bring in other things with that, like adding in foods that are good for um, detoxing estrogen, like cruciferous vegetables, colorful, really phytonutrient-dense vegetables. Um, and then, you know, when I say nutrient dense, it just kind of means more bang for your buck when it comes to food and you know, calories, like I guess organ meats and <laughs> things like that can be yeah. can be really good bang for your buck. But we talk about that kind of stuff um, if needed. But the low hanging fruits, I mean, like just balancing the macronutrient out to whatever they're specific needs are, um, and that can depend on activity level, age what their job is, like really anything. Um, and then um, is there any like alcohol or things like that that needs to be reduced um, and kind of just like those outside obvious things. 
including hydration as well. It sounds like poor diet then or an imbalance in the nutrient ratios could Mm -hmm. be a root cause, a root driver of hormone imbalances. Is that what you're implying here? I think what I'm trying to get at is balancing blood sugar. Um, So when the blood sugar is imbalanced, it can lead to different kinds of hormone imbalances as well. So um, insulin can drive the production of androgens from the ovaries and things like that. Um, And then, you know, maybe high fructose intake or something like that can slow down and make the liver a little bit sluggish, those kind of things, high alcohol intake. But you can be doing everything quote unquote right and still have these problems. And then that's where we would talk about specialized um, you know, foods or, or diet plans or um, you know, herbs, supplements, lifestyle, other things like that. I wonder about low-hanging fruit. That's a funny analogy for nutrition. And, and yes. with fructose, I wonder if we should call it like low-hanging vegetables or something. <laughs> or low-hanging fructose. Low-hanging fructose, yes, <laughs> yes. All right, we're going to coin that one. Um, and what do you think about calorie counting, the whole idea of calories in, calories out? This has been popularized since the 1970s, low-fat yeah. diets, you know, low-carb diets, things mm-hmm. like that. What is your thought about that in terms of is that beneficial or not? I think it's a tool. I don't think that it's a lifestyle. I don't think it's okay. Well, I don't think everybody needs to do it. Um, But I think that if it's not triggering to anything like a a past eating disorder or some kind of um, anxiety around food, then it's a great tool to use in the short term to, one, see where you are at the moment so don't change anything don't um you know judge yourself when you're doing it but just be honest and, and write it down and see where you're at and then what might need to be adjusted it could be one easy adjustment adding a little bit more protein to meals or you know watching the amount of rice you have at lunch or something like that um and then some people actually find that they've undereat. So especially a lot of women and a lot of high-powered women who work in very busy jobs and things like that will go all day and not eat, you know, Uh, or they'll have like a protein bar or a smoothie in the morning and not eat till dinner. And then total calories is like under a thousand. And it's a badge of honor, I think, for some people, right? It's kind of like how how long can I go or I'm I'm just too busy at work and things like that. I feel like cave people never calorie counted. Oh, no, <laughs> just, no. Yeah. yeah. So in the long term, the goal is to not calorie count, definitely, and just be able to listen to your body and, and say, okay, I know I need my plate to look like this or my bowl to look like this, and I need to eat X amount times a day to feel my best and to function at my best. I think we'll do a little sneak preview here. We might talk about that with Holly about intuitive eating, you know, this mm-hmm. idea that nutrition is not only about food, but about really feeling how your body reacts to different foods or either eating or not eating mm-hmm. and just being more in touch with, with our bodies, you know? Yeah, yeah. So we use all kinds of tools, and I'm, I'm sure um, Holly will talk about it. So we don't always calorie count. We'll use, like, food journals or, you know, some people are just into using their minds and, and senses and things like that or a combination of all those things. Great. Let's talk about important nutrients for hormone health. What are some of those star, superstar nutrients that we can kind of support, uh, for especially for women's hormone health? 
Well, for hormone health, one of the main ones, um, once you have your blood sugar balanced and you kind of have that, you know, down eating that way, um, I really like healthy fats. Um, you, we need, and healthy fats meaning leaning more towards whole foods, things that you would find in nature more often rather than like industrial seed oils or anything in those where it's a little bit harder to get the fat out of the product. What kind of oils are industrial seed just for listeners? Um, things like uh, you'll see them as like canola oil, corn oil, grape seed oil, um, rapeseed oil, cottonseed oil. What else? Darn it. Those are all the ones found in those <laughs> chips, right? Those amazing, yeah. crunchy, textured, but yet very processed foods that we yeah. often eat or that hijacked our taste buds, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, when you think about eating for hormone health, it's not, there are definitely certain foods that are more helpful than others, but it's really about eating whole foods more towards the planet, the earth, how it, it came. Of course, you can process it. You can process something into hummus. You can process chickpeas into hummus like that. But if it requires a lot of like preservatives, artificial colors, flavors, things like that, those are the things that are going to be a little less helpful um, in balancing hormones. So healthy fats like avocados, nuts and seeds, walnuts, um, that kind of stuff. Some people will do well on high fat dairy products it depends the person you know food sensitivities can come into play there um but really healthy fats are really good for your hormone function to function properly and your absorption of certain nutrients that are required for hormone function let's open up the meat freezer now so meat is high in protein but also fat yeah where are you on meat or what do you think about meat in terms of hormone health and how that supports it yeah, so definitely I am a proponent of eating meat if that's something that you include in your diet because it just, like I said earlier, the bang for the buck situation. So you just get so many nutrients, so many high quality um, fat, so many, so much high quality nutrient, um, protein, iron, minerals out of that meat and if you're digesting it well and absorbing it then that's going to provide the hormones with the backbone structure that it needs and you know the pathways and the vitamins and minerals required to convert and detox and all of that so there's maybe greater bioavailability with meat in certain aspects protein and things yeah for sure so um it's gonna have all the amino acids that you need um to function and it's not just hormones it's neurotransmitters and um you know immune system skin all of that kind of stuff um but it'll definitely be more bioavailable and better absorbed in somebody who's absorbing well. We can, of course, get into gut health, but. Right, that, and, and just to be clear, we work with all types of people, different diets. Oh yeah, for sure. Vegans, vegetarians, omnivorous people mm -hmm. as well. I mean, there's ways to get protein and fats with any type of diet, it sounds yes. like. Yes, so if you are a vegetarian, vegan, no judgment at all, everybody eats their way for a reason. Um, we would just work with you to make it as healthy as possible for um, fertility, pregnancy, all of that. So in terms of healthy fats, I wonder if there's a good mantra if people are doing like a meditation, like something like healthy fat is good and just keep on <laughs> chanting that. Because it's such embedded, I think, in our society uh -huh. that fats are bad. Yeah. You know, we think about cholesterol and triglycerides and trying to reduce these mm -hmm. numbers, but yet cholesterol is a parent hor hormone for many of our yes. female hormones, correct? 
Yeah, yeah. So cholesterol is super important for the different female hormones, even testosterone as well. Women need testosterone too, um, just, you know, at the the moderate level, not too high, not too low um, for healthy fertility, healthy vitality. Even if you're not looking to get pregnant, these things are very important just to, you know, live vitality like like motivation to go out in the world and things but also bone health skin health um brain health brain fog all of that yes we talk about fats proteins uh what foods may be connected to hormone imbalances some foods that people might be more sensitive to so sometimes things uh food sensitivities can be connected to hormone imbalances whether directly or indirectly um so something like gluten, for example, can if you have the right situation going on, leaky gut, it getting into the bloodstream, and then the whole theory of molecular mimicry with the thyroid, um, in that situation, definitely food sensitivities can cause a hormone imbalance because your thyroid helps to regulate everything else in your body as well. So you're saying if there's a sensitivity to certain foods, the immune system may be attacking the thyroid because the thyroid looks like some of the thyroid proteins look like some of the gluten proteins and things like that? Yeah, yeah. So the whole idea behind molecular mimicry is the molecule of the gluten or whatever food it is can look like the thyroid cell or whatever cell it is and create antibodies against both. And I think we've seen a number of times our patients sometimes they'll they'll kind of identify either self-identify or in a test that they're, they have food sensitivities, mm-hmm. say to gluten or dairy or yeah. something. And then as they remove those foods, we see that th- those thyroid antibodies go down, right. go back towards normal, which is really great to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also if you're sensitive to dairy or something like that, you can just have some low level, low level or high level or anywhere in the middle inflammation going on that is driving something like, um, you know, blood sugar imbalance or just inflammation kind of lead hormone imbalance. Speaking of um, skin, I mean, this is another kind of topic for hormones. We just recently had Dr. Julie Greenberg on, who's a naturopathic doctor that Mm -hmm. specializes in seeing dermatologic patients. And of course she was saying how how dairy can really trigger acne for a lot of people. So kind of going along with that inflammation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then that inflammation can also lead to the high androgens causing causing the acne as well. Um, Also, I wanted to bring up when in this part of it, I guess, would be environmental toxins too. So that kind of is, it's not a food sensitivity, but it's kind of like a sensitivity. Um, Some people can handle more environmental toxins than others, but I think it's really important when thinking about balancing your hormones, especially in a situation of like estrogen dominance or something, is to try to clean up your environment as much as you can, meaning um, if you've heard of like BPA, um, those kind of things, um, phthalates, um, what's the other one that I'm thinking? Uh, any Parabens, sort of parabens, those kind yeah, of things. Plasticizers, yeah. Yeah, no. and pesticides, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, and pesticides yeah. as well, yeah, plasticizers. Those kind of things go in and um, in the same level of like molecular mimicry, they look like your hormones and they kind of act like your hormones in your body and block certain pathways and, and overwhelm the liver and things like that. Um, so those kind of things are some low-hanging fruits as well that we can start to yeah. clean up.
or low hanging toxins that we yeah. need to <laughs> yeah. clean up off that tree, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. It is huge. I mean, that's a huge topic is toxins. It, it really disrupts that whole hormone mm-hmm. synthesis and yeah. metabolism. So yeah. it's a big, big topic, big deal. I just saw a, um, a, a new study out where they're kind of looking at environmental toxins in relation to diabetes. So you know, people who eat fairly healthy and they still end up with type 2 diabetes, um, environmental toxins playing a role there. It's very, it's very it's hijacking the insulin yeah. sensitivity, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all something we need to clean up our planet and go back to regenerative agriculture mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. everything. It's, yes. That's a big, big deal. Let's talk about gut and how the the gut health really can impact the hormone system. You know, we know that in functional medicine, functional nutrition, naturopathic medicine, it's a lot of it ends, ends up in the gut. You know, we, we have all these systems in our body, but as Hippocrates said many years ago, health and disease both begin in the gut. So mm-hmm. can you just kind of walk our listeners through gut health, how that impacts female hormone health? Yeah. So in so many ways, the gut impacts everything. Um, but I guess we could start at like estrogen detox or something like that. So estrogen gets detoxed in the liver and in the gut. So there's two phases in the liver. There's one phase in the gut. So we normally start in the gut um, just because you kind of want to work backwards when you're detoxing something out so it doesn't build up. So say you start at phase one and phase three is backed up, then it might start to create some toxins inside of you, some metabolites that you don't kind want to Kind of a misnomer, but maybe we should call it phase one is the, like, right. the colon uh, yeah. in a way, and that's the first thing to start, but it is called yeah. phase three. But if you, like, Google yeah. it or something, phase one is in the liver. That's right, that's yeah. right, yeah. Then, then, yeah, Google kind of dominates, so yeah. we, can't, we can't do that, yeah. Yeah, so uh, phase three is technically in the colon, um, and your estrogen and different toxins as well get packaged up and pooped out into the toilet, for lack of a better word. Um, Sometimes something like uh, bacteria overgrowth or some kind of dysbiosis, meaning like the, you know, certain bacteria are overgrowing, certain bacteria are undergrowing. You can have it go both ways or one way or another. Um, You might have parasites or something like that. That will cause the enzyme beta-glucuronidase to go up and prevent you from being able to detox properly those extra hormones especially estrogen and they get reabsorbed into the bloodstream causing an estrogen dominance type situation and estrogen dominance meaning your estrogen is either too high compared compared to your progesterone or it's like at a normal level but your progesterone is too low what are some conditions that are associated with estrogen dominance what kind of things would you see if someone if would a patient see or patient feel in terms of symptoms if they had like estrogen dominance yeah so estrogen dominance can cause certain symptoms like um weight gain fatigue sometimes acne um brain fog um and then short like in between cycles so in between day one of your period to the next period it can be a little bit shorter your period can be heavier um last longer clotty um and then that can lead to things like uh iron deficiency and stuff like that and then it's also a lot of times related to associated with you know chicken or or the egg situation with hypothyroid a lot of times Hmm. um so you want to definitely look at thyroid 
And I, I think we look at that ride with everything we do. We do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. We, we look at it, uh, every single patient pretty much. Oh, and um, estrogen dominance can, and a lot of different, a lot of different hormone imbalances are often related to IBS. Um, you know, another chicken or the egg situation, but oftentimes when we work on the gut and, and you know, at least improve what's going on in there, that people will find an improvement in their symptoms and their hormonal symptoms as well. Yeah, almost like the gut inflammation is driving some of that hormone imbalance. Yeah. 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 And then definitely I think I've also seen people with things like breast cysts. Yeah. Fibrocystic breast, you know, um, Mm -hmm. fibroids, things like that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Uterine abnormalities. So there's a lot of different factors that might even lead to hormonal imbalances that might lead to structural issues even if it gets too far advanced. Yeah, so th- those are some of the um, sequelae, I guess they would call yeah. it, like after it happening too long and, and too high. Um, and then definitely tender breasts as well, even if you don't have the breast cysts, can be a... a what sign. are some supplements, even though that's a supplement to food? You know, it's all, all about whole foods and the mm-hmm. anti-inflammatory type of diet, trying to balance the fats and proteins. Yeah. Healing the gut, you know, balancing the gut microbiome. Are there any supplements that you find helpful for, you know, people that might either have estrogen dominance or some sort of female hormone imbalance? Yeah, so supplemented foods. Um, so cruciferous vegetables are super important for, I think, everybody and everything. Um, you may have gas and bloating with that, and we can address that. And, you know, appointments and things like that, it could mean a a, a a GI imbalance or a microbiome imbalance, but they really help with detoxing excess estrogens and getting the, the, the estrogens going down the right pathway in the liver. So the different, well, the fibers will help to pull out that excess estrogen through the stool and into the toilet, but then also the sulforaphane, the, um, the different nutrients, the the sulfur actually composition, I believe there's some cysteine in it as well, can go to the liver and help to get state state phase one and phase two detox going in the right direction. Yeah, that makes sense. The cruciferous Great. vegetables are <laughs> broccoli, <laughs> cauliflower. Um, you can do some onion, garlic, Brussels sprouts. I just want to make sure everybody knows arugula. Yeah, yeah. Brussels sprouts are great. Uh, I've gotten more into it recently. Yeah, uh, it, not something I grew up with, but kind of an acquired taste. But I'm starting to like it. You know. Yeah. On. What's your favorite it. recipe for cruciferous vegetables? What do you? What kind of? Do you eat them raw, cooked, or? Definitely cooked. Um, they're a little bit easier to digest cooked. Um, you know, if they're raw, they have to be dipped in hummus or something. But I really love roasted cauliflower. It's probably my favorite, and you can flavor it any way you want, and you just roast it in the oven. Um, And then I have this cabbage. I like purple cabbage or red cabbage better than the other colors for some reason, probably just because how it looks. (laughs) And you just saute it up um, with some, like, allspice and onion, garlic, all that. It's delicious. Sounds delicious. Yeah. Yeah, love roasted vegetables as well. Uh, let's go into pregnancy. You were recently pregnant, delivered a beautiful baby girl who's, um, I think, thriving from what we can see on Zoom yeah. and everything. It's awesome. <laughs> um, what nutrition recommendations do you give for preparing for pregnancy for you know women out there who may be um, about to give birth or wanting to get pregnant? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, definitely everything that we talked about so far, balancing blood sugar, adding in those healthy fats, making sure your protein is where it needs to be. And if you need help figuring out where your protein and macronutrients kind of lie, it can be a little bit of a, you know, you start somewhere and then you adjust as needed. Mm-hmm. Um, but talking to a professional is, is, is helpful in that arena. But is specifically, I mean, I, I'm... I lean a little bit paleo, if we're honest. Um, I really like the the fact that animal products provide more bang for your buck um, when it comes to nutrients. Um, you know, grass-fed if you can, pasture-raised if you can, as close to nature as possible because that's going to provide uh, um, least toxic and more nutrient-dense product. If you can only afford something like a conventional meat. That doesn't mean you skip out on it. You know, you s- still including it is going to be important in balancing hormones um, and balancing blood sugar in that way and getting all those nutrients that you need. Um, eggs are great. So eggs have the choline, iodine, um, different vitamins and minerals in there that are really important for hormone health and then having a healthy baby. So you want to make sure that you have those stores up as much as your body can store them um, to be sure that there's enough provided for the baby. Because what happens is when you're pregnant, your body takes what it needs from you and gives it to your baby, but it takes from you. So if you don't have enough, (laughs) you're going to be anemic or you might lose bone density, things like that. Got it. To get stored up so that you Mm -hmm. can give, but then still have enough for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I like to um, think about like traditional villages and tribes and things like that when it comes to that like there was always it always seems like like, I'm not exactly sure I'm not a historian but but it seems like there was always that like grandma of the of the village Village, or whatever making sure everybody was like fed and well nourished and I think that's part of like having a healthy community is making sure moms are nourished yeah yeah we should reinstitute that in society it sounds like now all the moms are (laughs) depleted hmm yeah (laughs) So we need that village mm-hmm. village chef to yeah. uh, go around and go to everyone's house to make sure they have enough food. I can't wait to be the gr- village grandma. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds fun. So you can cook and watch everyone else savor the food and enjoy, and yeah. that's great. Great. Well, thank you so much, Ayla, for coming on today and providing all of our listeners with an overview of general female hormone hormonal health, how nutrition is so important and critical in that, how the gut microbiome is really important to, to balance with that. Um, we have one closing question we wanted to just say, and, and, you know, we know you've been CIH for a number of years now, so grateful for you to be here. Thanks. We know that one of the pieces of health is really cultivating joy and, and purpose and meaning in life. So one of the questions is, you know, what do you do every day to cultivate joy? I get off work and then I play with my children. Or if I'm working from home and it's lunchtime, I get to see my kids, which I'm super thankful for. Um, But yes, definitely just being around my kids, being around my husband, and then when I can, visiting my family. Um, I've always been a person who needs my people. And that's the main way I get joy, I think, is just making sure I see everybody as often as I can, Um, even if it's just on FaceTime or something like that. And just getting hugs i like that (laughs) yeah and and i think you know connections like you said the hugs the touch the time Mm -hmm. with your family loved ones that that brings meaning to life you know 
And I, I, I think even when we talk about nutrition, your nutritionist, integrative nutritionist, what is the role of connection with nutrition? How does, how does that tie in? In, yeah. in your opinion. In my opinion, I think connection is more important than nutrition because you can just eat the most healthy way and, you know, loneliness is connected to early, you know, death, disease, things like that, not to, to get dark. Um, but but it, I, I honestly think that eating healthy is important, but having those connections are even more important. So if you have to have, you know, if you go out and your your family's having ice cream or pizza or whatever, have that ice cream, have that pizza, have that birthday cake, because that have that wine if it's there. Like that's the most important part of life is connecting with other people, and then you know get back on the on the healthy train when you get home. Um, so having a balance there, I guess, is what I'm. Getting. Yeah, if your loved ones are off the healthy train, <laughs> yeah. spend some time with them. Yeah. If needed, you know, off of that and go back mm-hmm. on is what you're saying. It's good advice. You know, connection is yeah. really important. And then you'll be a good influence on them, too. So, you know, right. not to talk about like, you know, nobody likes to talk about diet all the time or whatever, but just be like, yeah, I'm um, I've included, uh, I don't know, organ meats to support my fertility for when I'm pregnant. And then it just starts a conversation, you know, and gets people interested in what you're doing. Thank you so much, Ayla, for coming on today. Really a pleasure Thank to have you, you on. And it's your very first podcast. So yeah, my very exciting. first one. <laughs> and love to have you back for more, taking a deep dive into some of the, the women's health issues that we kind of see here and that you could uh, share with our listeners. So how can our listeners learn more about you and work with you? Yeah, so you can uh, find me on the CIH website. Which Jen has amazingly put up. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, definitely amazing. Um, that's probably the, the main spot you would uh, find information about me. You know, call in and make an appointment with me if, if you're interested. But, yeah, that's that's really the main spot. Awesome. I don't really, I'm not really anywhere else. <laughs> oh, good, good to see you in person, Ayla, and it's uh, we'll chat later great to see yeah. you yeah okay thank you so much thank you for taking the time to listen to us today if you enjoyed this conversation please take a moment to leave us a review it helps our podcast to reach more listeners don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss our next episodes and conversations and thank you so much again for being with us